Hey there, this is Coach Aaron Saft on the MR Running Pains podcast, and today's guest is Jeremy Payton. Jeremy is um, a, well, a great story, a great human being, um, just some really cool things to share with us. Uh, we talk about Jeremy's first 50K. Um, Jeremy came to, to running really recently, as you'll hear in his story, uh, and decided to take on the Art Lobe as his first 50K. And if you're not familiar with the Art Lobe, that is quite the undertaking for anyone's first 50K. Um, but Jeremy was prepared, um, not only physically, but as you'll hear, uh, he prepared in every which way possible. Um, getting you know gear together, uh, nutrition, hydration. So we talk about all of that, and that's what I love about this episode. Um, Jeremy had a lot to share, and uh, we kind of bounce off each other and talk about things that maybe you can pull into your own running. Uh, not only if you're doing your first uh, ultra, your first 50K, your first adventure run, um, just bo- moving up in distance. Uh, this was you know such a fun conversation in the regard that we just go over so much stuff. So there's a lot in here. So I hope you take something away. And if it you know develops any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, you know both of our contacts will be in the show notes. And uh, I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Jeremy Payton. At the end, I'll catch up with all of you about what's going on here in my world. And uh, until then, let's hear from Jeremy. Hey Jeremy, how are you? Aaron, how's it going? Fantastic. Excellent, sir. Excellent. Thanks for for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, well, why don't we uh, we get into uh, a little bit about you? Um, why don't you tell us who is Jeremy Payton um, and what is his origin story? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm originally from South Louisiana. Um, Spent a lot of time traveling around the country with my mom, um, my little sister. Uh, Joined the military in 1992 uh, after graduating high school in Denver, Colorado. Which branch Uh, did you join? I was in the Navy for 12 years. Wow. So, yeah, I was in a helicopter squadron, uh, aviation ordnance. So mostly doing weapons, uh, stationed all around the world. A couple of tours in the Middle East. lots of cruises. Uh, so pretty exciting twenties and thirties, uh, got out in 2005 on an injury. I was, uh, I was injured on active duty. So I was medically separated in 2005, uh, in San Diego and moved back to, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, with my, um, ex-spouse, uh, working as a service advisor at car dealerships and 2013 I decided I needed more outdoor in my life so decided to pursue a degree in forestry at Haywood <laughs> Community College up in Clyde North Carolina cool uh, graduated from Haywood in 2016 and uh, worked with the U.S. Forest Service for about three years after that um in different capacities as a wildland firefighter, uh, did a lot of silviculture, uh, hemlock treatments, uh, worked at Bent Creek on a couple of research projects, uh, worked with the MPS at the Carl Sandburg home. Um, 2018, I decided to go back into aviation 
That's what I do now. I'm a property and facilities manager for Signature Aviation. Um, we are the largest fixed base operator in the world. We have 206 locations in 26 countries, and I manage North America, Canada, Latin America, and the Caribbean. Wow. Wow. Well, before we go any further, just I want to say thank you for your service, man. That's incredible, especially uh, being injured on, on duty. So we appreciate you. you and being there for us. So thank you, sir. Um, that's a, a that's a whirlwind of a life thus far, and you're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's amazing. Um, so talk to us about what brought you into running. Well, I've been a mountain biker since 2004. Um, did a lot of running when I was in the military, not by choice, but <laughs> moving up here, um, getting into a different role with work and having more time in the area that I'm close to now, which is around the Arboretum. I saw the need for me to get out and try something different. I felt like I was stagnating in the mountain biking world. You know, I'd ridden just about everything and the, the groups were fantastic, but I wanted some variety in my life. And one of my friends said, well, maybe you should try trail running. And I said, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Let me try that. So June of last year, I decided, okay, let me update some shoes and, you know, go out for a couple of runs and see how it feels. Right on, right on. And uh, how did it feel? Felt really good. The one thing that I noticed, the differences between mountain biking and running is the contact with the earth, right? So mountain biking, it's, it's more, it's not as much as, it's not as much tactile as running is i feel more connected to the ground when i'm running as opposed to being high up on a bike um plus i think you get to see more because you're traveling a little bit slower um so it gives you the opportunity to notice things that you had haven't noticed before absolutely well um you have a a grand vision uh for next year um, do you want to talk about that and how that came about and uh, what our connection to that is? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll be turning 50 years old next year, and I wanted to do something that was important to me, something that I've wanted to do for probably a year and a half now. Um, so I contacted a company in Chamonix called Run the Alps, uh, run by Doug Mayer and uh, signed up to do the uh, UTMB course next year in September of 24. Uh, it's a 10-day trip, nine days running, and we circumnavigate Mont Blanc uh, using the actual UTMB course. It's 104 miles, 28,000 feet of elevation. Um, as I said, nine days running, uh, one day off. And um, to me, this is like a, a bucket list opportunity not so much for the distance or for the elevation, but being in the Alps for nine days and being able to run that course in daylight and see all the the mountains and being connected with runners from around the world is is exactly how I want to spend my 50th year on this planet. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and so we connected um, and... Um... I think it was Carrie Barris, right? That connected us. Yeah, I, I, yeah, Carrie, uh, Teresa, and a couple other people in the running community said you should talk to Aaron. 
because <laughs> uh, you came and you said that, you know, do you think this is something I can do? Um, <laughs> which at the time when we connected, um, your longest run to date was what at that time? Half marathon. Half marathon. Okay. Um, which is great. And, you know, I said, well, we've, we have time, right. But in the <laughs> meantime, you've, you've tackled some, some great stuff. Do you want to talk about some stuff that you've already done this year? Yeah. So I started up a, a run group on Facebook, um, about three months ago and started doing, uh, it's called Sunday run day, fun day, uh, runs where we pick loops that are not really on anybody's list so far. So I try and put together runs in shining rock, middle prong. We do bucket list runs. We ran up to Mount LeConte and back, um, you know, just stuff that people haven't really seen, getting them out to places where they might really not be comfortable traveling on their own. Um, last Saturday, I actually took a group out and we ran uh, Art Lobe northbound, which was my first 50K attempt. Um, after only running for less than a year, I decided, well, I've, I've got this fantastic trail I've got all these great people, lots of good support. So we decided to take off on it Saturday morning at about 545 in the morning and um, ended up finishing at about 620 in the evening. Um, a lot more elevation than I had originally thought, but a fantastic run. And I felt really strong at the halfway point when we stopped at Silver Mine to refuel. Um, it was it was odd to me because I had never really pushed past about 18 miles. I think at that time, a 30 K was about longest. I, I did the uh, cold mountain 30 K. Right. Yep. So getting out to silver mind, I was like, wow. Okay. So this is officially my longest run. And by mile 20, I felt strange. Like I felt energized and like I had hit my stride and at 20 miles, I felt like I had just started the run. So climbing up to Black Balsam, hitting ten Tenet Mountain, going upstairs, down to Cold Mountain Gap, for me was probably the best part of the run. And um, hitting <laughs> hitting that last three point eight miles, uh, heading down to Camp Daniel Boone, it was it was a hard three point eight miles, but it was so worth it. And being able to tick off that fifty k in such a short amount of time was a bucket list uh, opportunity for me. And uh, you talked about the, the, the Sunday group. Um, and we're going to talk about Art Loeb a bit more, of course, but um, you know, where, where did the impetus for that originate? Where did you kind of start? I mean, cause you mentioned earlier that the mountain bike community and group rides and stuff were, were wonderful. Um, was that something that you just wanted to kind of translate to running or, uh, was it built off something else? Yeah. So it was, it was really self-serving to begin with because I wanted to have people to run with and I wanted to check off a bunch of runs that I wanted to do. So I started posing these runs to people and saying, okay, here's the loop that I put together on trail forks or on trail runner project. Um, what do you guys think? What are your thoughts? So, and it just kind of snowballed after that. And then, as you know, 
you tell one person and they tell somebody else and then they tell somebody else. And next thing you know, you've got eight to 10 people in your group and everybody is messaging you asking what's the next run. Perfect example was Mount Lacan. I had people messaging me probably for two weeks after that run. And people were saying stuff like, I'm still high from that run. And that run was so amazing to me. And it was so awesome to be in that place with those people. Um, it was just one of those days that just clicked. So to me, that's the gold. That's what I, that's what I get most of my joy from is putting people into the woods and connecting them with other people and saying, Hey, look, let's go run something that you might not necessarily put on your run list. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh let's let's kind of get into the art load building off of that so you know uh lacan happens and um people are asking you well what's next um and art lobe evolves and it becomes let's do our lobe so um when you initially uh put that to the group um what was uh what was your organizational strategy how did you start with you know this is uh this is our next one. I mean, you announced it, right? But then from there, where did it go? Well, we decided that the best thing to do is once we have the group that has mentioned that they want to run, um, I thought it would be good to get everybody together ahead of time, about two weeks to start planning. Um, oh, what you, safeties sorry. do we have? Can you, uh, can okay. you repeat that? Sorry, you broke up there. Oh, um, yeah. So we did a two week pre-run meeting where we, um, to talk about mandatory gear, what they would need, um, what safeties we had in place, um, where our SAGs were set. Um, for me, bringing eight people onto a trail and, kind of taking responsibility for them, I thought it was good to get everyone together and kind of talk strategy. Like what's our pace going to be? What are, what are the things that we're going to need? What should you have packed? You're going to be responsible for, you know, ultimately running's very singular until you start doing run groups. And then you have to remind people, Hey, you have to be responsible for you. Like I'm responsible to make sure that the group is okay, but you need to think about yourself and like, what am I going to do to make myself safe? And what am I going to do to make sure that I have what I need to complete this run? Right. And so what were some of those things that you guys discussed? Because, you know, obviously the art lobe, um, it, it can be pretty self-reliant. Now, obviously you said you had a, a refuel point at Silvermine, but um you know, talk about what some of the things that you were telling them, you know, these are things to consider bringing. Yeah. So after talking to you about fueling, I kind of put a plan together and said, so this is what I'm going to do. After talking with Aaron, these are the things that I want to bring. We talked about water. Like, are you going to run filters and flasks? Are you going to run a bladder? Um, how many calories per hour do you think is important for you? You know, and I use myself as a, as a base, you know, I tell them in my training, it's recommended that I take on about 250 calories an hour. Obviously that's going to be different for everybody, but 
you know, I had people talk through their process with me and say, hey, so, you know, for me, I'm planning on bringing X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm going to bring Uncrustables and I'm going to have stuff that I can eat like real food, um, make sure that I have enough nutrition, um, you know, for solids and for liquids. And I told him about <laughs> something that I learned from you about making sure you're stacking your sugars, which I've seen a lot of a lot of progress in that in my own running by stacking my sugars. I noticed that, you know, I'm able to sustain longer. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been really, really helpful. That's, we'll just pause there because I'm sure some people aren't familiar with stacking sugars, um, but I'll just kind of explain that real quick. And that's looking at your sugar source in your, your fueling. What is it? Um, are you, you know, going primarily off of glucose? Um, you know, if so, then you may want to alternate your intakes with fructose. So, you know, if you have a, for example, a goo gel, that's basically primarily glucose based and then have a spring gel thereafter in your next nutrition interval, which is fructose, it's two different sugar sources. So your body can process both at the same time. Whereas if you just continue to consume glucose, the body kind of backs up. It doesn't, it can't process more and more glucose. So giving it two different pathways allows you to ingest and digest two different sugar sources. Sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. <laughs> nope. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, for me, I started looking at different ways that I can both hydrate and I can sustain nutrition while on the trail mixed around with a couple of different, uh, products, Huma, Scratch, uh, Martin. Um, I decided to utilize Martin's for the art lobe. The one thing that I really like about that product is, as you said, it stacks sugars because their bars are glucose, fructose, and malodextrin. So high calorie count um, just really worked well for me in that, in that zone. Um, yeah, I mixed tailwinds in my bag uh, for hydration, was able to refill with my water filter out of a flask. Uh, the water points were actually a lot better than everybody had mentioned. Uh, we had rain probably the week before, and uh, a lot of the springs were running really well. Did you have any sources that you could kind of rely on for those reports of you know how the water flow was? Um, yeah, I had a couple of people in the running community that had uh, run it recently. Um, and I utilized a lot of the reports from the Art Lobe Trail group on Facebook. Um, people that are completing the trail are adamant about telling people, well, this is where you can get water. This is where you can't get water. We saw a bear here. There were snakes here. This section was hard. This section was easy. Um, so I found that group to be very helpful in kind of planning out my water points. Great. 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 Awesome. And how about uh, for mapping? Uh, you know, there's this this course is marked, it is blazed, but at the same time, there are some junctions that get pretty tricky and hairy, and, and you know, can be difficult to find the markings. Mm -hmm. um, plus, you go through a wilderness area, which there are no markings in the wilderness area. So, how did right. you work this with mapping and especially communicating that with the group? Mm -hmm. um, did you all have to stay together, or how did that work? 
So I advise the group, everyone in the group to run your own map, whatever you like to run, whether that be trail forks or Strava or trail run project or whatever. Personally, I ran uh, trail forks and I ran Gaia. And then I had the, the route saved on my Garmin. So I was running three different maps um, for tracking because you can utilize trail forks and Gaia in airplane mode, which saves the battery on your phone. Um, I was using my Garmin for tracking heart rate and distance and for navigation, but sometimes the Garmin isn't as accurate as say Gaia or um, trail forks. So that was always used, used as a backup. I always back up everything. I always carry more water than I need, more food than I need. I always run more GPSs than I need. <laughs> I also spoke with um, with Tara Pruitt, and she let me borrow her Garmin InReach, which was great because you know it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Sure. The talk about the Garmin InReach for a moment. What uh, what peace of mind does that bring? What does that bring to the table for you guys? So Garmin InReach is great when you don't have cell service and you're really back in the back country of Pisgah or any other area, it gives you the opportunity to reach out to emergency services when you may not be able to, or to reach out to that person that can reach out to emergency services. Um, it's a great backstop and it's a huge peace of mind to know that if somebody goes down with a femur fracture or a broken ankle or they break a hand or an arm, then you know that you can get that person aid. I was personally carrying a medical kit, so I had enough gauze and bandage in my kit to where I could snap two twigs and splint an injury pretty quickly to at least get somebody down. So we could fashion the ability to get somebody to you know, an, an access point where medical services or emergency services could get to them. Fantastic. Uh, a few things there I want to just kind of go back through. Um, in relying on so many um, battery devices, um, you know, was it one of the things that you suggested to the group to have backup power source, backup battery charging capacity? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a backup battery um, myself. Uh, I grabbed a goal zero to carry along, uh, added a little bit of weight, but that peace of mind, it's able to charge up to six cell phones off of one charge. So, you know, I was basically carrying enough battery to charge everybody's gear. Um, that was a, a good thing for me to carry. I know uh, two other people in the group also were carrying backup batteries uh, that were attached to their phones. So yeah, we do rel rely on a lot of battery operated um, items. Uh, it's always nice to carry a paper map, um, you know, especially when you're in the back country. Um, I found that when, if, if you don't have those paper map reading abilities, like I do, I learned it, you know, within forestry when I was working for the forest service, but for the people that don't, they tend to rely on that, on that GPS and, you know, if they're not using it properly, it can drain their battery, which can put them into, you know, kind of a situation where now you don't have your cell phone, so you can't call out. You don't have your GPS, so you don't know where you are. So, yeah, I, I got the, the backup battery just for that aspect. Perfect. 
uh, yeah, the gold zeros are fantastic. There's a billion different brands out there and it just depends on what type of, of juice you want, you know, to, mm -hmm. to be able to, to charge. But, um, I think one of the, the big things is not forget your cords. <laughs> um, yep. we oftentimes <laughs> remember the batteries, but a lot of times we're like, Oh man, I didn't bring that cord. So yeah. don't, don't forget your cords. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I always encourage people to have paper maps. I think that's a, a great point. Um, because just in case, like you said, back up to your backup, right? Like have a paper map. Um, and then I encourage, you know, for the extra expense to get the kind of the waterproof tear proof maps. Mm -hmm. Um, they are a little bit extra, but so worth it when they're in your pack and, and things get wet because a non-waterproof map is pretty useless to you. Um, and if you can't find a waterproof map, just, you know, put it in some Ziploc bags just to make sure that you give it some uh, resiliency or, or, you know, some kind of water resistance uh, mm -hmm. to make sure because that's, that's, that's key if you really need it to make sure that it's, it's in good condition. So all good points. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, the other touch point I wanted to go over, you talked a little bit about your med kit. What did your med kit entail? What did you pack? So I was utilizing a single person med kit that I picked up from REI. Uh, lots of gauze, bandages, band-aids, um, neosporin, um, you know, different sutures, um, blood clot kit. Uh, so if somebody has a laceration, uh, we had the quick clot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I tried to think of all the things that I learned when I was in the military, you know, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So. Yeah. As I was going through the the process of getting my stuff together, I thought, what could possibly happen? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? So I thought laceration, broken bone. Um, those were my those were my two big catch points. So after speaking to a couple of people that have done some pretty long runs, they said, you know, you can get these quick clots. They're pretty inexpensive. You can throw them in your bag. Um, if something does happen, you've got that ability to break open the quick clot and at least stop the bleeding. So I thought that was pretty important to have that and the ability to make a splint and, uh, you know, break sticks to give somebody a walking stick that they can lean on and have a splint for an ankle or a splint for an arm or something like that. Awesome. Perfect. Um, what other, you know, items did you have as, you know, I, I would say like emergency items? Um, what what else did you carry with you? Ooh, well, I carried a, a little extra food, a bag of liquid IV, and a couple of frozen Snickers bars that obviously thawed and then refroze once we got up a little bit higher. <laughs> but um, I utilized those as uh, bonk breakers. So those really high caloric foods, lots of sugar, something that can get you out of the, you know, out of your doldrums as you're going up Pilot Mountain and wondering why they stack these switchbacks so tight and so close. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, anything else? Uh, emergency blanket? Yep. Definitely had an emergency blanket. When uh, everybody came over the two weeks prior that's one thing that I mentioned to the team. I said, you know, does everybody have an emergency blanket? And they're like, no. And I said, well, I was looking for an emergency blanket for events and they only sold them in packs of 10. So I have a pack of 10. So if anybody doesn't have one, let me know and I'll grab one for you and you can put it in your pack. Um, you know, that you don't, you don't really think about an emergency blanket until 
you know, you maybe you're going a little bit slower and the sun's going down and it starts to drizzle and now it's 40 degrees and you go outside and you're like, man, I could, sh- I could use some warmth right about now. Yeah. So yeah, emergency blankets are key. I basically utilize the same uh, mandatory kits that a lot of the races that I run used. Um, I basically just copied that list and said, okay, so this is what you need. You know, make sure you've got a rain jacket, like a lightweight rain jacket. Make sure you've got an emergency blanket. Make sure your headlamp is charged. You know, make sure you've got your emergency foodstuffs. You know, make sure that you have what you need in your drop bag. You know, make sure your drop bag is stocked with what you're going to need to resupply. You know, the person that we had to resupply, she's awesome. Uh, She's been running with me since February and she did an amazing job. Because when we got up there to Silvermine, um, a lot of us were frozen, couldn't use our hands very well. So she was unzipping bags and filling up water bottles and filling up flasks. And she brought up uh, a couple of uh, extra pizzas. So we had pizza and I brought little cans of Coke and a cooler. But it's those things that you don't plan for. You know, when you get up there, how are you going to support yourself? It's not her job. You know, she was kind enough to step up and say, hey, what do you need? You know, how can I help you? But ultimately, that's the point that I made is that you have to be responsible for you. You know, this is this is something that you've decided to undertake. And, yeah, I I tried to make that point as much as possible. Uh, And just to add to to that in my emergency kit, when I go, you know, backcountry or long adventure um, in my um emergency blanket bag it usually comes in a small ziploc bag i drop a small lighter just in case i need to to build a fire just in case anything happens um i also include a little pen knife just a little pocket knife you know just in case i need you know (laughs) for whatever reason making uh kindling whatever it's just it's in there and then if my pack doesn't have it i include an emergency whistle um So those are just little things that I drop into that because it, it all fits in that bag, oh, um, yeah. you know, and it's simple stuff and it can save your life. Um, so just, you know, other things, not only for yourself, but others to consider when they're going, you know, deep into the woods and anything can happen. Right. Especially right. a lot of times I'm alone. I mean, I've got a Garmin in reach as well, so I can call for help, but it, you know, God forbid it takes them hours to get to me. If I'm mm-hmm. sitting there and I can't move and I need to keep warm, I, you know, I have a lot of that stuff just to, you know, make sure that I can, you know, sustain myself at least for a few hours, especially, you know, if I'm cold, right. um, but just little things, little things, but, um, you have, um, what sounds like quite a pack <laughs> talk about your pack for a moment, which pack do you have? And, um, how do you load that sucker? <laughs> yeah, so um, I run two different packs. I normally run the Solomon, um, the Advanced Skin 5 mm-hmm. for my shorter runs. But for anything longer, I have the 12 liter, which I know you have one as well. And I find that pack to be the most versatile, comfortable, well-designed pack for my frame that I've ever run in. Normally what I'll do is I'll roll my, um, my rain jacket. I have the Solomon, the Bonatti rain jacket. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is I'll roll it up and I'll tuck it inside its own hood. Yeah. Stuff that in there. Everything in the back of my pack is ziplocked. So my medical pack, my blister pack, 
my, you know, all of my emergency foodstuffs are all in one quart bag Ziploc. So that's in one piece. So I know where that is. And then everything else, my battery, my cables, that's all, you know, in another box. Um, my vest does have a whistle and then I have my Garmin inReach on the front. So that was stuffed into the top. Um, normally what I do is in the pockets, I'll have my phone on one side and then I'll have bars on the other side, one flask with a filter so that I can filter water and then the 1.5 liter bladder um, in the back. So with that, the pack, when I picked it up, I was like, man, this thing is heavy. But once <laughs> I put it on and started running with it, it really held its weight well. I was able to kind of cinch it down around me so it wasn't moving around much, but um, I didn't realize or it didn't click over to me that I was carrying as much weight as I probably was, but I knew that I was going to need this. So I was trying to pare it down to be as light as possible, but still cover every possible situation we could run into. That's fantastic. And, and just a, a good takeaway there. I do the same thing as using uh, Ziploc bags, especially for your extra, your jacket or your base layer. Um, because if it does rain, it's nice to pull out a dry piece, you know? So I, I agree, you know, put everything in Ziplocs. Um, my inReach, another great feature of inReach um, is the tracking feature. If somebody is at home, you know, significant other uh, kids, they can track you online, uh, which is awesome. And you can set up how many pings you give, how often, um, in other words, how many points of tracking. So it doesn't waste the battery as much. You can set it up for longer intervals or shorter intervals, you know, and it just kind of pings and sends the satellite signal and gives them a, a, a pinpoint to where you last were when it pinged. So, um, yeah, Garmin is that inReach is great for that. My wife has a peace of mind when I'm out there cause she can track me the whole time. You know, there's always the, the find my on your, your iPhone where, you know, she can see me if I'm in, you know, reception. Um, and there's always Strava too. You can always send, um, you know, live tracking to different people through Strava if you have the premium feature. So different ways to kind of track you and, you know, allow people to watch, you know, your progress and make sure you're okay. Um, but yeah, the inReach it's, you know, it's solid because it sends out, um, via satellite. So, you know, it's getting out at, you know, uh, as soon as it has the satellite, it will send out a bunch of pings, which is, it's rare that it, it you know, um, that it does not. So, um, right. some good stuff there too. Yeah. I learned the Ziploc bag trick from you. As <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it really is handy. I love pulling out dry stuff because if it's raining and I'm soaking wet, it's great to just have it, you know, something dry. It's like, Oh, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, great point there. Um, all right. So, um, our lobe itself, uh, as you said, this is a gnarly tough trail. Um, talk about your, your pacing strategy. What was, what was your pacing strategy going into this? Yeah. Um, so I originally reached out to Carrie and um, kind of asked her what her thoughts were and said, you know, I'm, I, I really want to take this on and I don't really care about time. Uh, I know it's a, a longer distance. I know there's a lot of elevation and I'm just curious what you think would be a good pace. Well, Carrie said, I've never done it in under 12 hours. I said, okay, that, that sounds, that sounds good. So I got with the group 
and ran some numbers, looked at some of my other runs uh, that I've been tracking and was thinking, you know, I wanted to maintain between uh, 15 and 20 minutes a mile considering elevation. And that's not counting for gap. Um, so I know that I've run, I ran the cold mountain 30 K in four hours and six minutes. Um, thanks to some really good coaching and training, I was able to, uh, PR my last half marathon, which was the Asheville half in March. I ran a one fifty seven twenty three. uh, that's down from two fourteen previously. Um, Awesome. So looking at the different runs that I do and really learning how to run slow and maintain that zone two, zone three pace, I really thought to myself with the elevation, 15 minutes a mile would be probably the best case scenario with 20 or above being probably more realistic for the group. Right on. Right on. Uh, did you change your watch feature? Um you know, sometimes I have uh, folks that are doing longer runs switch instead of giving the actual mile time, give the average mile time. So you can kind of mm -hmm. see if you're maintaining your pace. Um, did you do that or did you just kept it at, uh, at you know, at the uh, actual? You know, honestly, when I was looking at the watch, um, I was monitoring my zones. Okay. So I didn't even utilize it for... Um, I didn't even utilize it for the pace itself. I just yeah. kind of went off the feel because I've been running in that kind of zone two, zone three now for a couple of months. And my body has a really good understanding of, okay, I, I can tell when I'm in zone two and zone three, and I know what my pace is going to be. So for me, I figured if I could just run, you know, that zone two, zone three, then, you know, I'd be well within my pace. I would spot check my pace times. And then Eric behind me who ran with the group was telling me, number one, you're at an hour time to eat. And this is our average pace. So, you know, I would be in the front pacing off my zones. Eric would be behind me telling me when it's time to eat and <laughs> what our average pace was. So then I could back it down or I could yeah. kick it up. And it was just really dependent on the group. Um, we didn't have a, a set pace. Um, I had a personal goal, um, but ultimately I was there for the group. You know, we, we all decided to run this at the same time. We all wanted to, you know, achieve this goal which is a lofty goal. And I've had several people from the community reach out to me and say, that's impressive art load for your first 50 K and northbound. And I said, yeah, well, you know, I've been told that's the approved direction. So <laughs> I figured that would do it. But Carrie did point out um, when I asked her, I said, what, what do you think the, the elevation is for art load northbound? And she's like, Oh, it's 6,400 up 7,400 down. And I was like, okay. So I went on, uh, trail forks and uh, kind of playing the route and that kind of bounced a little bit. I didn't realize that um, we were going to get almost 6,400 feet uh, just by getting up to Silvermine and that we were going to have almost 9,200 feet at the end. Yeah. So I decided to look at the FKT website, um, you know, just to kind of look at the numbers yeah. and the numbers on the FKT website were a lot more accurate than anybody else was saying. So FKT was spot on. I think we were 9196 up and 8,064 down. Nice. Nice. 
uh, one piece on the nutrition. I know you had Eric in your ear telling you when to <laughs> eat, but uh, just trying to throw in little gems here and there for everybody. Um, you can use a timer on your watch too. Um, mm -hmm. So if you know what your interval time is, you can set that as your, your timer. And then, you know, before you go into GPS mode, start your, start your timer. And then, you know, when that goes off, it's mm -hmm. just a reminder time to eat, you know, mm -hmm. also a good reminder of have I drank and, you know, um, right. especially if you're alone, you know, cause then you're not doing the mental math. Like, you know, that's, it's one less thing to think about, you know, it's, it's, it will, it will beep. So you can take your mind off of that. You don't have to waste your time or your energy <laughs> thinking on when was the last time I ate? When's the next time I need to eat? Um, exactly. so yeah, right on. Um, so it's, it sounds like pacing was going well because you guys were, were feeling good. Were there any problems along the way? Did you guys have, um, you know, anything that you ran into? Did anybody get hurt? Um, anything like that? No, nobody got hurt. Um, I think, I think pilot was a lot more than a lot of people had <laughs> thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so we had two people drop at silver mine. Okay. Um, that, you know, I can understand that, that this was, this was certainly not an easy undertaking. Oh, no. Know? Um, looking at the elevation profile just from the Davidson river to silver mine is it's huge. Yeah. There was, a, there was a lot going on. There was a lot of up, um, you know, uh, the people that, that dropped at silver mine, you know, it was, it's, I don't want to say it was disappointing. It wasn't disappointing. They did an amazing job. Anybody who can get to that, who can hit a 30 K on that section of trail in six hours, yep. that's a feat. I mean, oh, that's okay. huge. That's where most of the elevation gain was, was that whole section right there. I mean, you, yeah. you hit most of your elevation by the time you've hit that point. That's there. I think that's already like 7,000 feet of gain by that point. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, over I'm the course of what, 17 miles, I think. That's, that's yeah, it was. I think we were 18 and some change when okay. we hit silver mine. That's incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the views at the top of Pilot were were worth the climb, and Absolutely. it was a challenge. But man, oh man, I I really found just for me personally, getting up uh, Pilot and trying to remain um, motivated and positive. Uh, so Eric and I were joking with each other and Mike Howell, we were joking with each other going up because I told Mike, I'd made a comment. I said, man, we can't be much more mountain than this. And so <laughs> Mike kept reminding me of that as we were going up pilot and Eric said, man, do you think they can make these switchbacks any tighter or any shorter? And, you know, we got up to about the fifth or sixth switchback and I just looked back at Eric and said, just had to open your mouth, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it's God. just those little things to kind of keep you motivated and keep your mind off of it. Um, the, I mean, you do, you dip into these kind of highs and lows on these runs. And I don't know if it's a, you know, if it's your body telling you something or that you need to eat, or, you know, if you're just in that mental state, but I find that what works for me is talking while I'm running and, you know, just having conversation or Eric and I love to throw dad jokes at each other. <laughs> and uh, It really, it keeps the mood up, you know, because then people are, you know, they, they kind of get into it and, you know, it's funny. So yeah, that's, 
I think that's important because, you know, that, that run can beat you down. It mm-hmm. really can. There's a lot of climbs in there where, you know, you look up and I'm leaned over in a 30 degree angle trying to make it up this and the calves are sc- screaming, the quads <laughs> are screaming and everything is screaming, you know, and we're just having a good time. So <laughs> that's great. I thought about, you know, we got to this really low point on pilot where we stopped and I thought, man, I wish I had the opportunity to log into my phone and just play a snippet from uh, jumping the line. And then that way everybody can kind of pick up their mood. And I was like, man, that, that would be cool. So I just started humming it. And Eric said, are you humming jumping the line? And I said, yeah, he's like from Beetlejuice. And I said, yep. <laughs> so he started quoting the movie and that got us all the way up to the top. So it's just a good way to get people's minds off of what you're doing. Um, yeah. I find myself when I'm out on just my regular runs, I'm planning different loops in my head as I'm running. Um, the next loop that we have coming up on the 11th is going to be um, my version of cradle to grave. So okay. it's not going to be as long as cradle to grave. So we're calling it cradle to morgue. Um, <laughs> So that that's going to be fun. But I was thinking about that loop while I was doing Art Lobe. You know, I, yeah, I try yeah. and keep my mind busy. That's good. So That's good. Yeah. And Cradle of the Grave, for those that aren't familiar, it was a, a an old brace here. Um, kind of stopped uh, right around COVID. Um, but it was a 30K and it started at the Cradle of Forestry at the Discovery Center um, mm-hmm. and ran up to um, Pilot Rock. Um, gave you kind of a view if it was a nice day and then returned down to the fire road and, and back through the pink beds loop. It's a, it was, it's a nice route and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's on plenty of Strava uploads. So if you search uh cradle to grave, you're, you're sure to find it. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a really cool loop. Um, some really beautiful trail for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and kind of talking about the trail, um, uh, you know, pilot is it's that is is grueling um just a you know tough climb it's and it just hits you hard uh and then you come down the other side and then you have to go all the way back up not only to the parkway but past the parkway uh to get yourself up to silver mine and to uh black balsam right. that's that's such a such a tough one after coming off of pilot um mm-hmm. you know not, not quite as tough as pilot but still demanding um but the section that always gets me is um, coming down to uh, the uh, Daniel Boone camp because <laughs> you, you know it's there and you you know uh-huh. it's coming. You can you can hear the sounds from the camp, but right. you can't see it. And it's just it's like oh my gosh! It's like you come around the corner and you're looking, hoping, and you're like, nope, not it yet. <laughs> and it's just like mentally, you know, it just it just seems like it takes forever and. Oh my goodness. It's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, I guess it's just my patients at that point are just, you know, so thin that I just want to finish. And it just, you know, it, it just seems like it takes so long, but, and it's yeah. a downhill too. So you're like, Oh my gosh. And you'd love to, to run it as fast as you can, but it's still pretty technical. There's lots of rocks and roots and, you know, the trail kind of gets a little bit narrower in spots. I've kind of slipped off cause, um, there, we had, uh, people coming by. I remember this one time we had, a. Uh, a group coming up from the camp, they were hiking up uh, probably to cold knob 
and it was just this line of of people and you know we're you know trying to get by because it's just a line of people and there just wasn't enough trail and i ended up sliding down the the bank and i'm looking up at everybody and they're like are you okay i'm like i'm fine you guys just go ahead i'll climb back up when you get past because <laughs> uh, i mean um and black balsam I, I don't know if you had the experience but the, i mean everybody loves black balsam and usually the the crowds up there just get so you know massive between you know that black balsam area and tenant there's just a lot of people that you know are hiking and again you know sometimes the trail is like super thin like the you know the laurels are on each side and you, you have nowhere to go um did you experience any of that yeah so i will absolutely agree with you that the 3.8 miles from cold mountain gap to camp daniel boone <laughs> is the longest three miles <laughs> i have ever run yes. in my entire life i that trail never ended. It seemed like I, I absolutely agree. You come around the corner and you're like, this has got to be it. We've been running forever. And I know. It's not. And then yeah. you make another turn and it's the same. You're like, oh, this has got to end. But the cool thing that we saw going up uh, Black Balsam is people were asking us, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're running the Art Lobe. And you know, they're like, you're, you're running the whole thing. And they're like, yeah. And people were high-fiving us and cheering us on. <laughs> Stopped up at um, Black Balsam, got some pictures um, of the trail sign and then turned and started running down the trail towards Tenant, and actually ran into a friend of mine who I run with on Monday nights. And he just came back from a trip to the Himalayas he was running in in Nepal wow. and he he saw me on the trail and high five me and and messaged me after and said didn't even know you were doing this today congratulations <laughs> so it's it's funny how small the community is but going down black balsam and then getting up to tenant same reaction people are like are, are you running this and they're like yeah <laughs> They're like, well, how much farther do you have to go? And we said, Camp Camp Daniel Boone, we're going to the end. <laughs> so it was it was neat to be able to talk to those people. And yeah. you know, I got a chance to run stuff that I hadn't run before. I think my favorite section was after you get out of uh Ivester and start climbing up into Shining Rock. Yeah. And doing that overhead high blueberry patch, and you're going up to was it stairs? Yeah. Um absolutely amazing and just probably one of the most prolific beautiful sections of trail my favorite section of trail on that entire run nice yeah i, I like the narrows uh getting up on that kind of ridge back and you have the views yeah. off either side um yep. it's it's super technical you know it's tough and if you're tired it's you know it, it's frustrating because you're you know you're like oh my goodness we're you know is this a trail? <laughs> um, but we actually speak to bear at the narrows. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. We, we came up over that, the really big rock at the top mm -hmm. dropped back into the trail and started running down. And I, it sounded like somebody dropped a 16 foot log out of the sky <laughs> in the bushes to the right in the blueberry bushes. And I turned and I looked down into the brush and you could see a black bear standing there. <sighs> and I was like, Hey bear, Hey there. Hey there. And it just looked at us as we went by and I said, well, we're just passing through, yeah. we'll, you know, have a good day. And uh, we kept going, but that was the, it was weird. That was the only um, wildlife sighting that we had. You know, I thought we would have seen more. I saw a lot of chipmunks, lots of birds, <laughs> got one bear. Um, 
yeah, it was it was super cool. It was nice to be able to enjoy that. And yeah, kind of I, see those areas. Two other spots. Uh, one's not far after the Narrows, and it's just before you get to um, the Cold Mountain where you drop down to Boone. But there's two um, real kind of um, evergreen uh, groves. One is on your way up to the parkway. So after you've come down pilot past the shelter at deep gap and start going back up, there's just this beautiful pine grove section. I, I don't, for whatever reason, I just love pine grove stands. Um, and then the other one, like I said, right before you get to the cold mountain junction, um, mm -hmm. there's lots of trees down kind of in that, um, that section of, of shining rock. When you kind of get through, um, there's kind of a nice grade and then you start to go down a little bit to, as you're getting towards cold mountain, but there's lots of trees down, uh, just because that's, you know, primarily that's wilderness area and you're not allowed to bring any type of chainsaws. And it's, it's also, it's deep in there. It's, it's tough to get to, so you have to bring cross cut. So it, it takes some really hardy souls to get to those trees. So they've been down for a while, but, yeah. um, I love those two sections, um, I don't know. I just, I find peace in those sections. I don't know if it's because of the, the way that the sunlight kind of filters through, especially it's usually, um, and you may have hit it at a different time of day, but you know, the time of day that I usually hit it, it's just a soft light, um, which is, I don't know, brings a sense of, uh, serenity and, uh, and peace, you know, it's just, it's always nice, especially right before you hit that, that downhill that we both loathe so much. <laughs> um, but the, those are two of my favorite sections. Um, but, um, you know, for those that are thinking about the art lobe, um, uh, talk about your, your water points. Um, you know, that's always an area of interest. We kind of touched on that, you know, you, there are, there is the capability to filter. Talk about the different filter points that are available to, to folks. Yeah. So, um, depending on when you go, the, depending on the time of year, um, water points can be scarce. We were fortunate. Uh, there's really good water all the way up to basically Gloucester Gap. Uh, we were able to fill at the Butter Gap Shelter. There's a pipe spring. Yep. Really, really good source. Uh, very well done. Uh, just before that, when you hit Cat Gap and uh, John Rock, there's a stream there that you can filter out of. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good point. Um, so from those two points, that sustained us for getting up to Silvermine where we had SAG. Um, we were able to refill at Silvermine. Yeah. Uh, there's um, one more point before that if, if folks are in need at the uh, Deep Gap shelter. Um, oh, Deep Gap, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's one more point. There's a little spring that comes out of the hillside. If you're looking at the shelter itself, it's off to the right. You'll see a user trail that brings you right to the the uh, the head of the creek, and you can um, filter yeah. there. Yeah, my favorite water point was uh, up in Shining Rock, where yeah. it looks like you – it looks like you come out on an old road and there's right. giant pieces of granite uh, quartz yep. just like spread all on the road yep. um, through That's this, like right. you said, like a pine forest. Yep. We got, I mean, I could hear the water. It was coming down the side of the mountain off of a flat rock um, into what was like quartz scree underneath it. Probably the most beautiful water point I think I've ever seen. Nice, but you could get the water coming right off of that flat rock, and it was yeah. it was absolutely amazing. Awesome. Um, I thought, you know, I thought we would need more water than we did, but because I think we started out, it was forty seven degrees. 
we hit the parkway and it was 39 degrees and blowing 25 miles an hour. Um, so all I wanted to do was eat my food and get back up into the trees. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I mean, the water was good for that, for that section. I would just, you know, like, like you had mentioned, bring more than you think you're going to need because you never know. You never right. know if, you know, there might be something wrong with the water point. You never know if, you know, something may have happened and you need more water or you get injured and you need to be out for longer. Or you sprain right. something and you're going slower. So yeah, yeah, I, I tended to fill up even if I didn't need it. Yep. Uh, just be prepared what you get up to that black balsam point because you are exposed. You know, he was mm -hmm. talking about how windy it was. Um, It's just, you know, the you're out of tree line once you get up the black balsam and tenant and all that and it takes a little bit of you know a while until you get back into the woods so um you know be prepared you know watch your weather it's you know anything can happen up there um you know a front can hit on the other side of that range so it's it just you know really keep an eye on the weather um you know especially check it when you get up to pilot uh, top of pilot usually have a little bit of service. So it's, it's a good point to kind of just recheck your weather and make sure nothing's moving in on you. Cause you know, there could have been nothing on the radar and all of a sudden something evolved. So um, just be careful and be mindful of all of that. But, Definitely. Um, I, I was awesome, Jeremy. So, you know, it took you a little over a little over 12 hours, which, you know, that's, uh, that's fantastic, especially for art lobe and your first 50 K um, it sounds like you had a, a number of others finished. Was that their first 50 K or, um, had some yeah. done a 50 K prior? Yeah. So Mike had done a 50 K prior. Um, I was, this was my, uh, 50 first 50 K, uh, Juanito's first 50 K, um, Max Martinez was running with us. Nice. He, he had run before, uh, Eric, uh, first 50 K Austin had done a 50 K before and it was Bruce's, uh, first 30 K. So cool. a lot of firsts for a lot of people. That's so awesome. that's, that's kind of the impetus of, of the Sunday run day fun day group. It's like yeah. getting you to get out there and do something that you wouldn't normally do because you can do it. That's for sure. That's awesome. That's a great place to, to kind of wrap up, man. Do you have any final thoughts um, beyond what you just said? Cause like I said, what you just said was, was very poignant and, and it is, <laughs> yeah. it is true. Yeah, definitely. Um, if I could say something to everybody, it's just go after what you want to do. Don't ever discount your ability or your skill because the only thing holding you back is you don't ever do it for anyone else. Do it for yourself. Well, fantastic. Um, I will put the Sunday run day fun day um, group into the show notes. Um, but any other ways that folks can connect with you? Yeah. Uh, obviously I'm all over Facebook. Um, feel free to reach out. Um, Aaron's got my number. If anybody wants to go for a run, uh, I got a good chance to run with uh, Connor. So if you want to run slow, by all means, come out and run with me. Um, I do runs out in Bent Creek all the time. I'm always running for the Monday night uh, NCMTR group run. And I run Wednesday nights at Archetype for the pub run with just running. So uh, say hi. You can't miss me. I've got trees tattooed on my legs. <laughs> Awesome, Jeremy. I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you and congratulations on your first 50K. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Well, congrats to Jeremy on finishing the Art Lobe Trail um, and for just you know being so um, willing to, uh, to share his, his journey with us. 
Um, I really enjoyed talking to Jeremy about everything he did and his preparations. Uh, and it was great to, to get to know him more. Um, I love getting to know my athletes and hearing more about their past. So, uh, you know, in, in a way, this is wonderful for me as well. Um, so anyway, here in my world, um, well, uh, I've begun, begun work on, uh, on transitioning um, the, the brand, um, trying to come up with a, a new name for my coaching services and podcast. Um, MR Running Pains stemmed from when I did events, um, putting on events. And um, the idea behind it, uh, you know, it's as I've talked about in the past, uh, it came from a different place, but it doesn't quite represent who I am or what I do now. Um, I'd like to have a little bit more cohesion with um, what I do and all what I offer um, and how I do things. So I'm working on it. My athletes have been brainstorming with me, um, my wife and family. We've been brainstorming new ideas. Um, if you have ideas, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, what this podcast means to you, what it's brought to your running, um, ideas you have for possibly, you know, renaming, rebranding. Um, so. Um, I, you know, I wanted to, to have more of a, a positive feeling to it because that's what I try to bring to running is positivity and joy. So um, that's what we're trying to do is, is create um, a new name that will, will kind of represent everything I do a little bit better. Um, so, um, so stay tuned. We're working on it. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a work in progress. Uh, I'm sure um, you know, nothing that will come about before Western States, but uh, it's on my mind. Um, you know, uh, I kind of stop and think about it quite often, you know, out walking the dog, going for a run, etc. You know, it's definitely something on my mind. So, um, but anyhow, so working on that. Um, and as I said, you know, um, Western States is coming up. Uh, this episode is going to release on, uh, let's see, Thursday, uh, June, let's see, 8th, I believe. And uh, with that said, from this weekend, um, I will have two weeks until Western States, which is incredible. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's like, it can't say it really snuck up on me, but uh, for sure, it's, it's coming up quick and I'm excited for it. Uh, you know, people are saying, are you getting excited? Well, it's not really that I need to get excited. It's the, I need to stay calm. <laughs> um, it, it's just this, you know, obviously Western States is one of those races where you just, you, you know, you're, you're been trying to get in it for so many years and be a part of it. Um, so I, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Um, you know, so far as training goes, uh, after that 30, uh, miler or whatever it was, um, where I did out and back on shut in, I needed a little bit of downtime just listening to my body. So, um, you know, a few people kind of commented that I disappeared from Strava for a few days and I just needed a few days off. I just needed to recoup and, and, you know, let my body recover a little bit. I've you know, I had basically two 50 Ks, two weekends in a row. Uh, and it, you know, that was a lot. And uh, I told my coach, I just, I just need some downtime. And, uh, you know, last week I had a friend uh, reach out. His daughter is uh, an amazing runner. Uh, she's steeplechasing, and he asked me if I could help her uh, learn some, you know, some 
things about the steeplechase and get her ready for the Adidas National Meets in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, and that would be, uh, let's see, June 17th, I believe. So um, I was more than happy. It was it was awesome to, uh, to, to meet with her. And she has such great energy. Um, and just, you know, teaching steeplechase again. I miss that event so much. Um, it was just reinvigorating. And, and you know, I really... I had, you know, not that I needed uh, inspiration, but it really lit me up again and made me excited. And uh, it's just, you know, such a great feeling to uh, to to work on uh, helping somebody, you know, trying to get to, you know, well, go to nationals. She's already qualified for nationals and going. So um, but try to work on some of the, the finer points of steeplechasing and making sure she understands um, how to do the water pit, you know, what we're looking for when we're hurdling in between hurdles, pacing, you know, all these different things that go into the steeplechase. So that's been a lot of fun. I've been really enjoying that that piece of of, uh, of coaching. Um, and you know, and I, I mentioned last week, unfortunately at this time, I am not accepting any new clients. Um, you know, I, I do have some friends that are, so if you're interested and, and want to, uh, want me to connect you, by all means, reach out. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I don't have the bandwidth right now to, to take on any new, um, runners, um, after, uh, probably after Vermont. So, you know, if you're looking for maybe August, um, I'll have some space, uh, for any runners interested in coming on board at that time. Um, but right now, like I said, I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm in a good place with, uh, with my coaching, I'm trying not to, uh, to lose sight of my athletes training. Um, but at the same time, you know, get everything together for, for Western States and Vermont since they're so close together. So, uh, I just don't feel I would do any new athletes justice at this moment, um, coming on board anyway. So, um, you know, like I said, if you want to wait till after, um, Vermont and have a conversation or even reach out to me now and say that you'd be interested after Vermont, uh, which is mid July, um, you know, and, and come on board in August. Uh, I'm happy to have that conversation. Um, but yeah, like I said, as of right now, I just don't want to, don't want to take on anybody new, but, um, it's, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, man, uh, you know, good spot right now. Um, you know, like I had a run yesterday and just took it really easy. Um, you know, not, not, not really wanting to push. I could still feel some, some fatigue in my body, but I had done a lot of, um, outside work the day before cutting down a tree and moving it and mowing. And, you know, so <laughs> I was a little bit tired from all that. I could tell at the end of the day when I was done with, uh, the yard work, I was, I was pretty whooped. So I knew it would kind of wear me out for the long run, but had a good long run. Um, found a new trail, which was awesome. Um, it looks like it's been there for a while. Um, but I never would have known it was there until I, you know, I just ran by and saw, you know, an entrance into the woods that I had never noticed before. So I decided to explore that yesterday. Always so fun to find new trails and check them out. Um, really enjoyed that. So, um, but yeah, everything else is, is great here. Um, as always, if you have any questions or comments or things you'd like to, for me to answer on the podcast, please reach out. Um, 
you know, the next week, um, I'm trying to line up uh, a special guest, an old friend uh, who's also a coach. Um, and we'll see if that works out. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, the week after I'll be doing, um, you know, a Western States preview, uh, that will be right before Western States. So, um, I'll, I'll record a podcast. Uh, I'd love to have, you know, my kids and family and crew and pacers on and kind of talk about, you know, pre Western States and, and, you know, the environment that we see and everything else. And then the following week will be a Western States recap. So, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. That's kind of the, the agenda moving forward. So, um, but I hope your running goes well and, uh, until we talk next time, keep running my friends.